Good morning. Uh, we are going to continue in our Bible reading today. So if you have a device or if you have your own Bible, we're going to continue on reading from Daniel chapter 9, starting at verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you begin to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench and in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end. And desolation have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. It's a fabulous chapter of a window of Daniel at prayer. And most people pray in some fashion. Um, especially in times of trouble. Uh, but to be a disciplined prayer like Daniel, that's a battle. It requires great faith and courage. Uh, prayer doesn't come easily or naturally. And sometimes, uh, if you're honest, you, know, you just feel like you're talking to an empty room, your words are just bouncing off the ceiling. You ever felt like that sometimes when you're praying? Yeah. This, uh, this chapter addresses our doubts and addresses our insecurities by reminding us that God does hear us. God does care. In fact, he's eager to hear our prayers uh, and he graciously uses our prayers to bring about his purposes in the world. So before we look at it, let's pray uh, now. Ask God for his help. Dear God, as we come to your word, Please help us to treasure it, for by doing so we are treasuring you. Amen. By now Daniel is an old man. Uh, the events of this chapter happened uh, about the same time as chapter 6. So, you know, the lion's den. Um, uh, he's probably about in his mid-80s. Uh, we know from chapter 6 that he prayed three times a day, and that was his usual habit. Uh, even in the face of death, he maintained this habit. What we learn in verse 2 here is that his prayers were shaped and informed and motivated 
by his love of reading the scriptures. Uh, in this particular moment, he's reading Jeremiah. And throughout his prayer uh, that we have recorded here, at least four other Old Testament books are referenced uh, in some way. Friends, for at least two and a half thousand years, the daily habit of a healthy soul is a diet of regular prayer and Bible. Nothing's changed, uh, except we've got the whole Bible now. Daniel didn't at the time. Uh, so let me ask you, how well nourished is your soul? Uh, is it feast or famine? I've just started a new devotion plan, uh, and two things really help me. One is a plan, <laughs> and the second one is a, a friend to share it with. I find I'm so much better with someone to share uh, things with. Hold me accountable. When we share the experience, it's just so much easier and richer, and it actually happens, doesn't it? Uh, we help each other to love God, encourage each other to, to love those around us, uh, and especially to reach out with God's love to those who don't yet know him. Such important concerns, aren't they? Uh, what was Daniel's concern here in this prayer? Well, he'd been in exile for nearly 70 years, and listen to what he reads in Jeremiah. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I'll punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord. He's thinking, yeah, mind started racing 70 years. Oh, what's this all about? He's in Babylon. Um, and again in chapter 29, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then... You will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. And Daniel's heart must have said, boom, 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 in his chest as he's reading these words and, and remembering what God had promised all those years ago through the prophet Jeremiah. Who remembers Krakenites? Remember, oh, such good memories. Queen's birthday in the backyard. We had a lot of trees uh, on our uh, block, so we'd drag a year's worth of dead branches and pile them up there and um, big bonfire. And uh, one year it had been a bit damp. Not hard to imagine, is it? And, um, and, and Dad threw some old fuel that he had just into the fire. I think he thought that it was methyl or diesel or something. I don't know what he was thinking, to be honest. It was petrol. And um, just instantly, two things I remember, this mushroom cloud going up like this, and and the, the fire from the flame coming just sucking up the vapour right back to the container he had. Fortunately, he was unharmed in all of it. Um, it was just this mushroom cloud of flame. And uh, these verses that, that Daniel's just read in Jeremiah, they must have been petrol on the faithful but smouldering fire of Daniel's prayers. Incredible moment for him. Uh, notice the urgency in Daniel's prayer, verse 3. He turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer, petition, in fasting, and in sackcloth and ashes. Like This is like, Lord, I really need you to hear me. I really need your attention. Um, there's no special language for prayer. 
There's no special posture that God responds to. We can't force God's hand, ever. But he loves it when we express our concerns by throwing ourselves on him in utter dependence. Friends, let's be people who pray with an open Bible and an honest, sincere heart. And let's now have a look at this prayer, uh, verses 4 to 19, if you've got a Bible there, um, before we explore God's astonishing answer in the, in the latter verses. What I love most about this prayer is that it's characterised by passion, not polish. But it's not lacking in content either. He worships God's greatness and faithfulness. Verse 4, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. Verse 7, Lord, you are righteous. Verse 9, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Again in verse 14, the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does. His whole prayer is peppered with these reminders of, of how awesome God is. And friends, it is good for us to remember who we are talking to every time we pray. He records God's mighty acts of salvation. Verse 15. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day. Friends, it's good to remember what the Lord can accomplish. Because this side of the cross, we can remember, Lord, we are praying to the God who raised the Lord Jesus from death. That's the kind of power that he has. That's the kind of love that he has for us. Um, so he gives us great confidence as we pray. Daniel also confesses the uh, sin, both personally and corporately. That's really good to remember, not just who God is, but who we are as we come to prayer. Verse 5 and 6 says this, We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. Again in verses 9, and follow. We have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept it the laws he gave us through his servants and prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. In our culture, uh, we're in a very individualistic culture. We think as individuals. Um, but in, in many cultures around the world, personal identity is understood in community. And so confessing sin is we not I. Made me think this this week. What, what sort of sins characterise our culture? Perhaps bring it a little closer. What sort of sins might characterise us as a church community? Let's confess them. And let's personally repent. We can't repent on for, for someone else, but we can ask God to be merciful. And Daniel acknowledges not just sin, but the internal and external consequences of sins. Devastating. Verse 7 to 8. This day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. Where our kings are, our princes are, our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. Friends, let us not ignore the devastating impact of sin on our lives, personally and corporately, especially when God has clearly warned us in his scriptures. And that's the next part. Daniel recognises that the clear warnings that God has given through the prophets 
And God's people have simply ignored what God has spoken. Verse 11, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, they've been poured out on us. Verse 12, you have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us this great disaster. God said it, they ignored it, and now God's judgment has happened. You can go back and read the covenant or agreement God made with his people. You know, back in Deuteronomy 28 and following. Um, but this is quite amazing. Um, you can actually go back and read how God promised to be merciful to them when they failed. So listen to how Deuteronomy chapter 30 starts. When all these blessings and curses I have set before come on you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey with all your heart, with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he has scattered you. I reckon that must have been exciting for Daniel too. Amazing, isn't it? That, that was spoken over a thousand years before Daniel. And now it's all happening. And the next thing Daniel does is he laments the sheer devastation of the circumstances. Perhaps he's thinking of Moses and, and the, the promise of going to the promised land. And yet now here they are, exiled way, way, way from the promised land because of their sin. He's devastated by it. Verse 12, under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Verse 18, See the desolation of the city that bears your name. And so finally he presents his request. We often, so often start there, don't we? It's like straight into a big wish list. And we, we finish there. You know, God, I want. God, please give me. God, please help. And that's about as far as we get. Uh, so self-focused, so inward-looking, so concerned about our own welfare, without any thought of God, let alone other people. Our prayers are... Uh, you know, are our prayers more than just a, a wish list? Not Daniel. He presents his request on the basis of God's character, not his own credit. On God's mercy, not his own merit. And in his mind, he's got God's priorities, not his own wish list. Look at verse 16. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, Turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. He goes on. Now, O our God, hear the prayer and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make request of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Prayer is never based on our goodness or worth, or how deserving we are, or anything that we might have accomplished in life. It is based on God's goodness, and God's mercy, and God's faithfulness. And see the goal of his prayer? He prays for God's glory. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. Why? For your sake. My God, do not delay. Because your city and your people bear your name. It's an impressive list, isn't it? Have a look at this list on the screen. Look at that. There were things included in his prayer. 
Quite a isn't it? I've got a simple question for myself, and I'll ask you guys as well. Is that how I pray? Don't answer it for me, please. <laughs> uh, maybe we need to confess that we just don't confess. Uh, not with that kind of seriousness, anyway. And then he's kind of like, you know, intent in this prayer, and he gets completely interrupted by God. Because God sends this angel with an answer. The swift flight in verse 21 highlights God's speedy response. Yeah, Dennis barely said amen. Uh, and now God doesn't uh, always answer like that. Yeah, sometimes the answer is yes. Uh, right now, sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is not yes. Uh, I remember years ago explaining this to my very little children. I think Joey, my oldest Joe, was in school by this time. And I'd, I'd picked her up from somewhere and I noticed she was having a chocolate bar. I don't know where she got it from, probably the friend's place. So I asked her for a bite. <laughs> she looked at me with these big, cheeky grin. goes, Daddy, sometimes the answer is yes. <laughs> sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is not yet. And, and today, grin going wider and wider, the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, dear. Um, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. That's what Romans 8.28 says. Uh, and what's his purpose? Well, the next verse tells us that it's to be conformed to the image of his Son. His goal is to work through all the circumstances of the life of a Christian to make us more like Jesus. So let's go back to Daniel then. We do not know how he responded to Gabriel's message. That's not recorded there. Uh, did it bring comfort or concern, clarity, confusion? We, we just don't know. What I can tell you is that it produced an enormous amount of speculation about the timing of world events. Just Google Actually, no, don't Google it. It's just, it'll just confuse you. That's crazy. Um, but here's the main point. The, the main things are the plain things. The plain things are the main things. God is telling Daniel that the 70 years are just about over. The exiles are going to return to the promised land. Jerusalem and the temple will be rebuilt. But God's also indicating that there's this 70 times 7 years, a long period of time. And at the end of that 70 times 7 years, something far more wonderful than anything you've asked for or imagined is going to come. And so in verse 24, God reveals six glorious goals. Have a look at this. Number one, to finish transgression. A time will come when people will no longer break God's commands. Second one, to put an end to sin. People will no longer be tempted to break God's commands. Third one, to atone for wickedness. The penalty for sin will be paid once and for all. Fourth one, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Your God's people will be washed clean in his sight forever. No more temptation, no more sin, perfectly pleasing God in all things for all time. What a magnificent picture. That's only number four. Number five, to seal up vision and prophecy. Seal here means like fulfilment rather than like locking something away. In other words, everything the prophet said will come to pass and be fulfilled. And uh, last point, sixth point, 
to anoint the most holy place. Now, there are various interpretations. However, Jesus made it clear that this was referring to his own body. In other words, it refers to a person, not a place. <clears throat> and this side of the New Testament, because we can see that all six of those milestones are only achieved through the life, death, and glorious resurrection of Jesus. Now, instead of finishing here with a glorious description of, of Jesus and heaven, Gabriel kept talking. And he went on with various subdivisions of these numbers and details of events. Now, I want to highlight the difference between chapter 8 and chapter 9 here. See, in chapter 8, God explains what the vision meant. He lays it out, and we can actually see it in history. Um, but not so in chapter 9. People have tried really hard to make the numbers match history, but it's not neat at all. And, and, and like people come up with different ideas, and it usually just leads to uncertainty, and we end up missing the point. While we experience trouble now, for this period of time, God has a glorious future that he will bring at his appointed time for those who trust him. That's certain. Having said that, let me make just a couple of observations. Verse 25 speaks about Jerusalem being rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. And we see that happen in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, the anointed one of verse 26, that's referring to Jesus. And yes, he was put to death, as it says. In the next part of verse 26, it says, The ruler will come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And that's describing the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, AD 70, which Jesus also said would happen by Titus, the son of the Roman Emperor Vespasian. Then it says, the end will come like a flood. And, and since the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, um, followers of Jesus have been predicting you know, when they think it's going to happen. <laughs> and you've probably heard a number of uh, different versions of that too. Um, we're familiar with flash floods right now. I, honestly, the other day I was driving to Wollongong. We went through six sections of road where like it was, water was up to the side of the door. Um, we just happened to time it right in the middle of one of those massive downpours. But I think what's in view here is more like something I experienced about 20 years ago. I was living in Port Macquarie near the Hastings River, and there was torrential rain in the upper reaches of the catchment. Now, we had a little bit of rain in town, but what we didn't expect was that the river just kept rising and rising and rising and rising, it was this slow-moving, dirt-brown water. But it ended up so high, we could go like boating over the horse paddock. We did. Um, and our car got flooded, unfortunately. Um, but I think that's the sort of flood that's envisaged here. One that just keeps rising and spreading out and encompassing the paddocks, encompassing the nations. A flood of, according to, according to verse 26, of wars and desolations. Sounds like our world, doesn't it? A flood of trouble. And then in verse 27, Gabriel gives details of one seven that is particularly devastating before the end comes. And I think this suggests a devastating acceleration of evil before the return of Christ. But remember, 
the end of the day, don't get caught on specific numbers. Jesus pointed out, no one knows except God the Father the day of Jesus' return. So what does all this mean for us then? Firstly, friends, let's keep praying because God hears. Perhaps some of us need to start praying. Uh, like Dennis, let us make it a daily habit. Um, I personally find it's really helpful to connect it to certain other things that you do. might be like uh, you're doing your teeth or, or mealtimes are a good one because we all eat, let's face it, we all eat. Um, but, but connect prayer to things like that. I find that is really helpful. Or as I said earlier, do it with others. Build it into your to weekly routine. Uh, learn to pray like Daniel, earnestly with an open Bible and a heart set on God's glory. Second thing... Um, Friends, let's thank God for Jesus. Uh, those six wonderful promises of verse 24, they are only ours when we belong to him. And thirdly, keep trusting God. Keep living faithfully and courageously because he made those promises and he keeps his promises. So today, I hope we've all been inspired and challenged about our prayers, the way we pray. We've seen that God is at work in all things to bring them to their proper conclusion according to his plan and time. Now, every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're actually lining ourselves up with the way Daniel prays, you know, hallowing God's name and asking God to bring his kingdom in. And in this chapter, we see that God has promised to do exactly that at just the right time. I think, friends, as we finish a chapter like this, it seems like appropriate that we should actually say the Lord's Prayer together. I'm going to put it on the screen and um, let's finish by saying this together uh, at the end of this chapter. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.